Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the Captain's Log Sermons. You'll be hearing Nathan preach not only at Liberty Grace Church, but also at surrounding churches. We hope that this is an encouragement to you and that you're blessed. Oh, good evening, everyone. It's good, good to see you all. It's actually my second, uh, second service of the day. This morning, Elaine and I were in New Hamburg. I was preaching uh, at her home church there, and it is just a privilege to spend to spend a whole Sunday worshiping with God's people first there and now here. Um, So excited after having been there this morning to now be here uh, to to speak to you from God's word. As we get started, I want to begin with telling you a bit of a story um, about myself. So when I was younger, I used to counsel at uh, a Christian summer camp. It was called Camp Kareth. And this, this camp, it's got a really special place in my heart because it's while I was at this camp um, that God first began calling me into ministry. He, he first put it on my heart that that's the, the direction that he was leading me and, and where I was going to go. Um, and so this camp's got a really special place in my heart for that reason. But I, I remember during the summers, uh, at the end of each week before the kids would go home, this is usually like Saturday afternoon at lunch, Uh, our camp director would get up just to sort of end off the week with some important like house cleaning announcements. And um, for the most part, they were the really standard type of thing you would expect to hear at a camp, like make sure you've got your bunk clean, make make sure your parents check you out and don't just take you away, that type of thing. Um, the, The typical stuff you would end a week of camp with. But another thing that she would do every single week is she would get up and she would encourage the kids to to take their parents to the the little snack shop that we that we had where they'd be buying the snacks all week and to pick up one of the little books that that we sold there. We figured the kids would have spent all their money on candy, but now that the parents were here, there was money to to get a book. And these books, they were really small, they weren't very long, and they were part of a series about Christian heroes. And the whole thing was that they told the stories of different people throughout history and how God had been at work in their lives in some pretty amazing ways. And it was really cool to to read these stories. Most of them were pretty dramatic of people in really really difficult situations, sometimes life-threatening situations, and see how God had cared for them. But as you read them, you almost couldn't help uh, but but think as you're reading these amazing stories of what God's done in, in other people's lives, you couldn't help but think, like, man, I wish God would do stuff like that in my life. Like, I, I wish my story looked a little bit more like their story. And I, I would see God work in these really dramatic ways. Well, today we're, we're going to look at Psalm 130. Um, and, and essentially what this passage is. This is a song where the psalmist, he's giving us a very similar type of story. He's talking about his own life and how God has worked in his life in some really amazing ways. But I think the really cool thing about this story that that we're reading today is that all of us are are sort of invited into this story with him. You know, the the journey that he kind of takes with God in this psalm is uh, a journey that all of us are also invited to be a part of as well. And so as we work through this psalm, you're, you're going to see it it almost kind of unfolds like a four-act play. You know, every every two verses is kind of its own little, its own little act that makes up another step in, in this journey that the psalmist is on over the course of this passage. 
And this, this psalm, it's one of the psalms of ascent. So this, this journey that he's taking, every step that he takes is another step upwards. This is sort of that, that upwards trajectory all throughout the psalm. And so as you, as you look at it, in the first two verses, immediately we're, we're introduced to sort of the state that the psalmist is in, where he's starting this journey from. And, and he describes that to us in verses one and two, where he says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And so these two verses, they sort of make up act one uh, of this story that's unfolding. And if we're looking at this as sort of uh, an upwards climb, we're starting the story here at complete rock bottom. You know, there's a, a very desperate tone to these verses, to, to what the psalmist is saying here. Because in this moment, he's at his absolute lowest and he's crying out for God to have mercy on him. There's a lot of significance to the way that he's describing his, his situation here, where he says that he's crying to the Lord out of the depths. It's a phrase that's used a couple different times throughout the Old Testament, and, and really it's meant to show just how far away from God the author is here, how, how far removed from God he is. And, and Jamie Grant comments on this passage, he writes this, that, our God is depicted as the God of the heavens. And in Psalm 130, the poet seems worlds apart from this God. The spatial distance between God and the psalmist appears nearly insurmountable. And so this, this really is rock bottom for him. We, we're beginning with this picture of isolation and separation from God. And it, it's that feeling of separation that's causing the psalmist to cry out to God in, in the very desperate way that he is here, crying to God for mercy. I think that's something that all of us can relate to, um, because what these verses are, are describing, that, that separation, that isolation from God, that is the effect of sin in all of our lives. It separates us from God. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And that is the exact issue that the psalmist is facing here in this passage. And that's the exact issue that, that all of us have to face. Because all of us at one time or another have been in that same place, lost in the depths, completely alone and separated from God by what seems like this uncrossable chasm because of our own choices and the sin in our lives. It separates us from God. As we look at uh, these, these verses, it's important uh, as we're seeing the issue that the psalmist is having here to see uh, the attitude that he has in this psalm as he's talking about uh, the state that he's in. Because this psalm, it's one of the psalms of ascent, but it's also one of seven penitent psalms found in the book. Essentially a, a psalm where the author is seeking forgiveness for his sins. Penitence, literally, it means sorrow or regret over having done something wrong. 
that's that's where where the psalmist is at here he he recognizes that he's in a desperate situation and that's what leads to this desperate plea he he recognizes he's got a big issue that he cannot deal with on his own he sees his own sin and he's ashamed of it he he's in the depth he he's trapped he's far away from god and he wants to make the this journey this climb out of the depths but he he knows that he cannot do it on his own he he's overwhelmed because he sees just how far away from god he really is he knows how far he has to climb and he knows that he can't do it on his own so he cries out for god to help him and to rescue him like I said, the, this psalm, it shows the author taking a, a journey that we're all invited to take as well. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to take the same journey that the psalmist does here, we have to start in the same place that he does. It's going to be a beautiful journey, but we need to start by recognizing the need that we have for the journey to happen that we're trapped in the depths, that we're far away from God, and we need to cry out to him for mercy. And so that's sort of act one uh, of this story. And the next two verses, verses three and four, give us uh, act two. And we're going to see where we're going to take our first step upwards here. Verse three begins and says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Initially, that, that's carrying over a lot of the same tone that we saw in the first two verses, just emphasizing the situation that we've started out with, that we all have iniquities, we all have sin in our lives. That's the reality, and, and this is nailing home the severity of that reality, because God is a holy and a righteous God. And if he were to, to mark iniquities, like this verse says, really, who could stand? Like, I, I look at my own life and I, I look at uh, the, the things that I've done wrong, and I know that I couldn't. I think the psalmist here, he, he's really asking a rhetorical question because the answer is that nobody could. We are all guilty before God and we deserve judgment for our sins. If he were to mark iniquities, none of us could stand. Well, there's such a powerful word in that verse. It's the word if that you have right at the beginning of that verse. You have to watch for the really little words because they're sometimes uh, some of the most important ones. And that little word is made all the more beautiful by the fact that verse four begins with the word, but if God marked iniquities, if he judged us the way that we deserve, we wouldn't have a hope because we all deserve death. But look at what verse four says, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Like, wow. I, I, I want you to just let that sink in and think about what that's saying, that the magnitude of what that verse is saying, especially considering where we started out from, starting in the depths, completely separated from God. It says, but with you, there is forgiveness. Because if God were to count our sins against us, we'd be utterly lost and hopeless, stuck in the depths 
forever separated from God, but with him, there is forgiveness. And God, the the psalmist, he's able to find the the mercy that he was crying out for, exactly what he was looking for. He's cried out to God for mercy in the first two verses. And here his prayers are answered because with the Lord, there is forgiveness. It's forgiveness from sins and therefore the opportunity to find freedom in him. And just like all of us started out in the same place as the psalmist, lost in the depths because of our sin, we've been given this same opportunity to receive forgiveness and to receive for, and to receive freedom. That's the freedom and the forgiveness that's found in Christ. Because verse three is true. If God were to count our sins against us, we, we would not be able to stand, but he had mercy on us. Enough to send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve, taking that death onto himself and making it possible for us to receive forgiveness of our sins through him. And all that he asks of us is that we repent of our sins. We place our trust in him as our savior, that we do just like the psalmist did in the first two verses, recognize that we are in the depths and cry to him for mercy. Because now we've come up from a a desperate cry, from a, a position of guilt this statement of assurance and the forgiveness that's found in God. We've we've taken the first step up here, out of the depths and into the forgiveness that's found in Christ. Because really these two verses give us a picture of, of the need that we have for God's forgiveness and the beauty of the forgiveness that he offers us. And the second part of verse four sort of makes makes clear to us that this forgiveness is found in God that he may be feared. The fear that it's talking about there, really, it's it's getting at this sense of, of awe and, and reverence, the ultimate respect for him, because God's glory shines through so clearly in his forgiveness. And the reality that that each one of us, that you and I deserve judgment, not love and forgiveness. And yet God offers us that love and forgiveness anyway. So if the first act of this story was all about shame and guilt, the second act is all about forgiveness and hope. And as we keep, as we keep going throughout the, the rest of these verses, you're just going to see that hope getting brighter and brighter the more we go on. You might, you might think and wonder to yourself, like, what, what else is there? Like, what else is there to, to see here? That sounds like the end of the journey. The, the psalmist has started out in the depths. He's cried to God for mercy and he's received forgiveness. So what else is there uh, for, for us to see? That really is just the first half of the story where we're still climbing here as we go through the next four verses. Uh, And and in verses five and six, we're going to take the next step upwards. This is what it says. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. You may read those verses and and think that kind of sounds like a bit of a step backwards, doesn't it? 
We, we've already had in verse four, this assurance of, of hope and forgiveness that's found in God. So what exactly are we waiting for? Like, do we, do we have to wait for God to make up his mind, sort of hum and haw and decide if he's going to forgive us? That's not what, that's not what these verses are getting at. What they're, what they're actually talking about here is a, a really beautiful theme of anticipation that runs throughout all of scripture. This is something that Daryl talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, when he talks about this theme in, in the Bible of already, but not yet. Because, because Christ's work is already done on the cross. He's defeated the power of sin. He's defeated the power of death. And, and for those who've placed their trust in him, for those who've cried out for forgiveness, that forgiveness has been given, that's already happened, that, that is done. And yet we're still living in, in a really messy and, and a broken world that is full of sin. And we're now waiting for the day that Christ is going to return to redeem and restore this broken world, the day that we're going to spend eternity with him. We've already been given such an amazing hope through Christ, and yet we still have so much amazing hope to wait for. And for those of us who, who have trusted in Christ, have put our faith in him, this is really where we are in this passage, that we've received the, the wonderful forgiveness that God offers, but we're still in this period of waiting for Christ's return. And I want to read you something that's written by an author named T.W. Aveling uh, that I think sums up really well these two verses and, and really the beautiful waiting that is talking about here. This is what he says. On the night preceding August 1st, 1830, which was the day the slaves in the West Indian colonies were to be freed, many of the slaves never went to bed. Tens of thousands assembled in their places of worship for devotions, singing praises to God and waiting for the first streak of morning light that would make them free. Some were sent to the hills to signal the first view of the coming day, the day that was to make them free. They would no longer be goods and chattel, but men with souls that God had created to live forever. How eagerly they must have watched for the morning. I think that's such a perfect description of the kind of anticipation that's being captured in these verses. For, for those slaves that he, he's talking about, that law had already been passed. The decision had already been made that they would be free. And yet they were so eagerly waiting for that day that that promise would be fulfilled, that they would feel the full force and the full effect of their freedom. And they were waiting so eagerly with so much anticipation that they wouldn't even go to sleep. They wanted to see the first tiny sliver of daylight. It would mean the new day had come and they were set free. I think the same is true of us. We've already been rescued and forgiven through Christ. Our debt is paid and through him, we are set free. And yet we're eagerly awaiting the fulfillment of God's promise that one day Christ will return and everything that is wrong, everything that is broken in this world will be put right and redeemed. And that idea of, of redemption, that leads us right into the last two verses, the last act of 
this story that we've been watching unfold. This is the final step uh, of the climb that the psalmist has been on throughout this passage. This is what these last verses say. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so after the journey that the, the author's been on in this psalm, he, he started in the depths. He, he's found forgiveness. And now he's in this place of waiting on the Lord. This is sort of the final declaration and the conclusion of everything that he's been through. And it's a, a, such a strong statement of, of assurance. But if you look at these verses, they're also um, directed more outwards than the other verses were. And as we're taking this last step upwards with the psalmist here, we're also taking a step outwards. Because so far we've been dealing mostly with just the psalmist's own journey, finding forgiveness and redemption in the Lord. But now he's addressing, he's addressing the people around him, his people, his nation, and he's encouraging them to hope in the Lord. This is an invitation for others to join him in, in, this, in this journey, in this beautiful relationship that he's found in God. And he describes that so well in verse 7. He's already told us that with the Lord, there is forgiveness. And now he continues that thought, and we see with the Lord, there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. Now that the psalmist has found such amazing forgiveness in the Lord, such hope and, and, and love and redemption. He, he can't keep that inside. He wants others to be able to join in and, and to share that with him. He wants to remind and encourage his people, remind them of who God is, remind them of the hope that they have in the Lord, the hope that they have and the promises that he's made. He wants others to have the chance to take that same journey that he has to find hope in the Lord. And the hope that he's talking about there is a hope that will last forever. Because as we're in this place of waiting for the day that, that Christ is going to return to redeem his creation, we hope in that reality that when he does, we will spend eternity with him. We'll spend eternity with our, our savior. And I cannot think of a greater blessing or a greater gift than that. And I can't think of anything that is more worth hoping and waiting for. And again, for, for those of us who've trusted in Christ, the reaction that we see the psalmist have here, this should be our attitude towards the new life that we've been given and the eternal hope that we found in Christ. It's such a, an amazing and a wonderful thing that's been done for us, such a great gift that's been given. And we should want to invite others into that as well. We should want to invite them to, to cry out to God for mercy and to take this same journey out of the depths into the forgiveness and the redemption that has been offered. Because like we saw at the beginning, when we are trapped in the depths, there's nothing we can do about that on our own. But in the Lord, there is forgiveness. And so we want to encourage and call other people to hope in the Lord, just like we have. 
So now at the at the end of this psalm, we've kind of come full full circle here. We started with the psalmist trapped sort of in the lowest of the low, place of isolation and separation, uh, feeling the sh- all of the shame of his sins. And now we're ending with, with him having climbed all, all this way with such a wonderful statement of, of assurance and the hope in God that with him is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. This is such a, this is a beautiful psalm. I, I absolutely love it. And one of the reasons this is such an amazing psalm is because really it, it gives us the gospel from start to finish. It lays out God's entire plan of redemption and the amazing gift that we have been given through Christ. That we were all trapped in the depths along with the author of this song, but, but through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we all have the opportunity to receive forgiveness and, and love and redemption. I love the way that Jamie Grant sums up this, this whole song kind of at the end of it all. This is what he says. One narrative exchanged for another. Darkness for light, death for life. Despite the darkness, the psalmist leans forward toward the God he knows, the one who chooses to love us, redeem us, and forgive us. The one who invites us all into a new narrative, a narrative marked by grace. So as you as you read that, uh, as you as as you look at this psalm, ask yourself, what's your story? What narrative are you living in? Because this psalm gives us all an invitation to change our story and enter into a new one that is marked by grace through putting our faith in Jesus Christ and receiving forgiveness of our sins. Now, if that's a decision that you've already made, then rejoice in the Lord and share this hope with others as we are waiting for the fulfillment of the promises that Christ has made, waiting like a watchman waits for the morning. And if that's not a decision that you've ever made, I want to invite you to find forgiveness and hope in Christ today and to start that journey out of the depths into a beautiful relationship with God. Because at the end of the day, while we all deserve to be lost in the depths and separated from God with the Lord, there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is steadfast love, and there is plentiful redemption through the work of Jesus Christ. And God, we, we thank you so much for that gift. We thank you for, for sending your son and for the sacrifice that he made, Lord, that while we were still trapped in, in the depths far away from you, Lord, you offered us this amazing forgiveness, this amazing hope and love and redemption. God, it's a gift we could never deserve. And so we, we come to you humbly and we thank you for all that you've done. We, we love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope that this is an encouragement to you. As always, if you want to know more about us and our ministry, feel free to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or go to our website. Thanks so much and see you next time.